This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Hey, Parsha Shmos, everybody. We're going into a Pesach that I think everyone has been lied to. Those who got the text messages, you saw me send out this, this lie that everyone has said. If you watched the uh, cartoon movie, The Prince of Egypt, it had that picture like in the beginning where it had uh, Moses in the little little boat being sent down the Nile River all the way down. So I'm not asking you to watch that movie. It's, I, I, from what I remember of it, and it's been about 25 years, it was probably the worst movie I've ever seen before in my life. So I would not ask you to go watch it. But it's a lie. It doesn't seem to be that way at all. Parag Bey's Puzzle Gimel says, V'lo od She was no longer able to hide Moshe. This is Yochavet. His mother was no longer able to hide Moshe. V'tikach lo tevas gome. She took for him, she made for him a teva, the same word we had before, a little boat, but it's really going to be a box. Gome, that's going to be made of papyrus or papyrus. I'm not going to pronounce it correctly. I'm just going to choose one and I'm going to go with it. And that's fine. I'm going to say... Papyrus. I'm going to do that, okay? And if it's incorrect, I don't care. I'm just going to go with that, okay? She took that pap- papyrus box. I almost messed up. And then she pit- she coated it with asphalt and pitch. Those are the two things she put around it. And then she put inside there the child. And then she put it in the rushes that were on the banks of the Nile River, not in the river. And notice, by the way, that it doesn't say the word Nahar, it says the word Yeor, and it doesn't even say the word Svas HaNahar, Svas HaYeor, the banks of the Yeor that was near the river, I guess. So Ravaria Kaplan, first of all, says the word Gome in Hebrew is like the word Gemi in the Gemara. How do you translate the word Gemi in the Gemara? So you hear people saying that it's referring to plastic or whatever it is. Really, it comes from the Egyptian word Gam, G-O-M. G-O-M refers to papyrus, which they used to make small boats back in the day. They would take these things, they would build it all together, and they made it into these small little boats. It's translated this way as papyrus. This little boat was made of papyrus by both the Radak in Shirashim Ibn Yanach and the Septuagint. Septuagint made by the Chachamim when they translated the Torah, they called it that. Rashi calls it a cane which could also refer to the papyrus seeds. When they grow up, they seem to be like this cane that goes up and that have little things coming from the sides. It's possible that that's what it refers to over here. So it seems it's a type of reed that could stand when there's harsh winds and soft winds. That no matter what happens, the Gemara in Sotzedaf Yudbe says, it'll always be able to withstand everything. And therefore, this boat would be something that would withstand all the things that would happen to it. And it would be perfect to place inside this area. The word suf over here could refer to the Egyptian word Thuf, T-H-U-F, which refers to uncut papyrus. And therefore, when she said, Vatosem basuf, she put him in the suf. It's not referring to the yam, the nar, the suf, etc. It's referring to the actual papyrus plant. So it would make sense to have a boat made of that material placed in the area where that material grows from. So it wouldn't be seen from people on the outside. That would make a ton of sense. She's trying to hide the baby. She's not getting rid of the baby by putting him inside the river so that he floats out to the Mediterranean Sea. That's crazy, and no mother would ever do that to a kid. She's trying to hide the baby in an area where no one else will see the baby, and therefore she made it out of soup. 
and she put the kid into the soup. And that's the reference right over here. Rashi, that's Radak and Walbag. Rashi says it's a reed. So she was putting him inside a reed. The word in Hebrew is agam, roshil in Old French. And it's like a bulrush or a cattail. You've all seen those before. The long green stems with that big brown thing on top, right, that goes there. Everybody's seen them before, those bulrush or cattails. Interestingly, in Ethiopian, the word sufio, S-U-P-H-O, means a red-topped kind of reed, which may be why the sea right near Ethiopia is called the Amsuf. Now, there is a parish, and it's from a medrash, an opinion in the, in the medrash that says that, that Yochavid placed the baby in the Yamsuf, in the actual Yamsuf itself. It is mind-boggling for many reasons. The Yamsuf was at least a three-day walk from where they lived. They lived near the Nile River. The Yamsuf is at least a three-day walk. For them to take the baby and put the baby inside the Yamsuf is so far beyond my understanding. I don't understand what the point would be. And for them to say that there was a river, there's almost like a river that travels from there to the rest of the Nile, we don't know of any such river. We don't know of any such canal that was made. And I don't even know why they would do such a thing. Why would you want to have a canal that went that direction? you wouldn't want water from the Red Sea to mix with the Nile River. That would be nuts. And if it's traveling the other way, that means the baby is going the other way into the Yamsuf. I have no idea why it would be that way, but there is a Tana that seems to say that, as we'll get to it. Rapersh says that the word Gama, Gimel Mem Aleph, comes from the word he, in Hebrew, which means to thirst. To me, Hagmi'eni means I'm thirsty, I want something to drink. The plant that they were making this out of, and again, this referring to the papyrus idea, this this papyrus plant needs a ton of water to grow. It grows on the banks of the river because that's what it needs. The Midrash Seichel Tov says the same thing as Rapersh, and that's the idea behind it. And Sof means Sof, meaning instead of being the Suf referring to the soup itself, it means at the end of the river. At some edge, the bank of the river, that's where the baby was placed, but not actually in the water itself where the river and the land meet. That's where it would be over there. So Miyamoe says that the table was closed in on all sides, meaning it was completely closed up, that no one could see in until they open up the top of the table itself. It was not an open baby casket because the water could fall inside and drown the baby. Instead, it was completely closed with small openings where water can't get in, but he would be able to breathe. So it was made in such a way that it was lightweight papyrus who would go and bend and move, says the Mamluwais, with the reeds and the water around it, and it would match everything, and it would never break, and it would still be able to breathe, but nothing would be able to come in. It seems like it looked like a bundle of reeds on the outside, and that's why on the outside, it wouldn't have had all the pitch, even though we'll see later on, Rashi says differently, it didn't have all that pitch on the outside, you wouldn't need it. The Rebbe Elazar and Sotu Yudbeya says, it was the cheapest thing possible. And Sadiqim use the cheapest things possible because they never waste money whatsoever. So the Be'er Ma'im Chaim says she made sure to buy reeds from the land of people that were there. And that's why it says Vatikachlo. She bought it for herself. She didn't just take them because that would be stealing. She made sure to find out who owned the land that she was taking up from. And she made it out of that. And therefore she knew that the Shekhinah would rest upon this boat because he did it in the right way and everything would be okay. That's the idea behind it. Yeah. In some Kanalanis for what though? You're right, in some Kanalanis, but this doesn't she's not asking for a miracle here. She knows that 
So that's what. So the cheap material. So it, when you're building a boat and you want something, you don't know what's going to happen. Putting them inside the reeds would be the best thing. You're not trying to float them down the river. If you're trying to float them down the river, then you're right. You'll use the most expensive thing to make sure he's not going to be hit by rocks when the river bashes him against the rocks. Here you're putting him in reeds. If you're putting him in reeds, you want something that's going to be lightweight. So if the water overflows, he'll float up together with it and he won't bash against anything. This is the smartest thing to do aside from the fact that it was cheap. So that's the reason why she did it. Even though it seems like, well, that's a cheap move. Why would you do that? Why not make an awesome boat? This wasn't for the purpose of the boat. It was the purpose of protecting him in every way possible. That's, I think, the idea behind it. Now, Chemar, okay, it's asphalt according to the Radak. Ibn Ezra and the Rabag say it refers to red clay. Rashi says it's asphalt and pitch on the outside, but only dried mud in the inside, so Moshe Rabbeinu wouldn't smell anything terrible. That's in Parshish Noach as well. He says there was no need for anything on the inside because the water wasn't very crazy, and he didn't have to worry about that, so it was only on the outside everything was there. But we just said if she wanted it to match everything around, then mud would be a bad idea to put on the outside because that'll be a dead giveaway that there's something there, and it doesn't look like the rest of the reeds. So for that reason, the, to- the, the coal, um, where is it? The Rashbam and the Chizkuni says that the asphalt was on the inside, while the pitch was actually on the outside to make it waterproof. So the pitch did go on the outside to make it waterproof, but the asphalt was on the inside. The Dasikinim and the Chizkuni says everything would match the reeds in such a perfect way, and it did smell on the inside, but it wasn't as bad. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu was perfectly fine, was able to go through. Ramosha in Ramosha Feinstein says in Kol Ram, this is a new safer that just came out, stuff that Ramosha had written, but not in the Darsh Moshe itself. When saving someone, try to do so in the best possible way. Even though you're saving someone's life, and it's true, you're saving someone's life over here, try to do it in a way where you won't make the person suffer. By making sure that that smell wasn't on the inside, the way Rashi says it, he's making sure, she is making sure that he has to be saved. Great! But let's do it in a way where Moshe Rabbeinu gains from it. Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't go through. It's interesting. Tosefis Bracha says, and I don't know about this, Smelling tar as a baby or a child stunts the growth of a child. I don't know, but it makes somewhat sense. Therefore, she knew having too much in there and having the baby go through would be a terrible thing. We're not getting into 2020, January 1st, 2020 in Chicago. It's not yet that time for this. But regardless, this idea of it might have stunted, so she made sure that problem would not be there. Okay, why was Yochavin no longer able to hide Moshe Rabbeinu? What was the problem over here that all of a sudden she said, lo yachla latzvino, lo yachla odatzvino. She was no longer able to hide him. Why? What happened all of a sudden that she said, I can't hide him anymore, I've got to do something? There are seven answers to this question. We're going to go through some of them really quickly. Rash says from Medjugorje that the Egyptians knew her and her husband Amram had been divorced and had gotten remarried, and therefore they were expecting a child to be had. So they had counted months from when she had gotten remarried, counting months, one, two, three, four, five, six, waiting for the ninth month. They didn't realize that Moshe Rabbeinu was born six months after they had gotten together, six months after that had happened, at the beginning of the third trimester. That's when she was born, and now at the end of the trimester. So when they came, at the end of the trimester, it had been three months since he had actually been born, so Yochevin was able to hide him for three months without anybody asking any questions because they thought she was still pregnant. Assumingly, assumably, she covered her stomach and made herself look pregnant so that even though she had actually given birth she pretended like she was still pregnant and that's why they weren't worried about anything else at this point she could no longer hide him now they knew about it it's been nine months now she had to get rid of the baby the baby could not be in the house the Gemara Sotiyad Bey says it a little bit differently that's all from Rashi Sota says a little bit differently they knew when they got remarried but she was already pregnant from Amram when she got remarried meaning 
Yochavet and Amram had broken up with one another, not knowing that Yochavet was already pregnant. Three months passed, and then Miriam had her nevuah, my mother is going to have a child, right, and said to her father, what are you doing divorcing from? You should get back together with her because you're worse than Paro. Paro is killing only the boys. You're killing the boys and the girls because everybody got divorced. And Amram and Yochavet made a big show of getting back together. She was already three months pregnant when they got back together. The baby was born six months later. They assumed to wait until after the nine months. So the baby was born really at the end of nine months. Nine months. It was a nine-month baby, but it was, seemed like it was a six-month baby because the extra three months were from beforehand, before they had gotten remarried. That's how the Gemara Sota brings down, and that makes sense. So was he a six-month or a nine-month baby? Rashi says he was a six-month baby, and it seems from the Gemara that he was a nine-month baby. The Dasa came in the tour tried to put it all together, but it seems that that's the machlokis between Rashi and everything. The Chidah does not understand this Gemara or this Medrash at all. I'm going to bring this up to you, and I'm going to ask these questions. I do not have an answer for any of these questions. Based on this Medrash, that she was already three months pregnant and she already over here. Why in the world did they get remarried? Why would they get remarried? She's already pregnant. And by three months, she would know she was pregnant. So maybe you'll get around that and you'll say, well, she didn't know. Or they wanted other people to get pregnant and other people to have children. So maybe they got married publicly so everybody would know, even though she happened to already be, already be pregnant. Okay. It's very, very strange how it seems why they would have publicized this until the child's life was out of danger. Why would they? Let's say they wouldn't have gotten remarried. They wouldn't have thought Yocheved was pregnant. Yocheved would have kept a low profile. Amram and Yocheved never would have gotten together. And they knew this child was the future savior. Getting married would give away that the child is in Yocheved's stomach. If you don't get remarried, you don't tell anyone, Yochavet's going to seem like a single woman, she's going to be perfectly fine, and then nobody will know about it. So says the Chidah, I don't understand what they were thinking. So there could be other children that are going to be thrown into the river? They didn't know that when Moshe Rabbeinu was born that he was going to survive. Clearly they didn't know. And they didn't know what was going to happen to other kids. So what are they doing? What in the world was the point of this? I, I, it, just, it seems very strange, says the Chidah, that they did such a thing. And although there may be answers to this, the wording of, of, of Miriam herself, Miriam's words were the following. Asida imi, my mother in the future, teleid ben shasid lo Yisrael. In the future, my mother will give birth to a child that will save ben Yisrael. Says the Chidah, this assumption is, is that she's not pregnant yet. And she's saying, my mother in the future will become pregnant and give birth to a child. Now, granted, it says shetolid. It doesn't say shetisaberes, that she'll become pregnant. It just says shetolid. But it's strange. It's strange that the, 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 the nevuah of Miriam indicates almost as if she's not pregnant yet. So the Chidah says, I'm not arguing <coughs> on Rashi. I'm not arguing on the Medrash Tanchuma this comes from. I'm not going to argue on the Gemara and Sota. But it's a weird Medrash. It seems like this Gemara is going the opposite direction of what you would have thought. And it's a very very strange thing. He doesn't answer any of the questions. It's an issue, but it's not the greatest issue in the world. Each one of the questions of the Chidah, I can in theory answer. Maybe not great answers, but in theory I could get around it. The Moscow Dove just asked simply, were the Egyptians just idiots? Did they not realize that a person can give birth after six months? Did they not realize that that's there? That they should have gone to the house and kept checking. Why would they only check after nine months? Granted, there might have been a lot of houses, but they knew about Amram and Yochev. They were famous people. If there was going to be a 
leader of Klai, so it would come from them. Just go and check. Have a person there at all times. It seems very silly, says the Matzkele David. And again, it seems like there's something the Medrash is trying to tell us, not in Pshat, but in something aside from that, to tell us that Moshe Rabbeinu was a six-month baby and still able to do whatever he can do. I don't know, but there sounds like there's something there. Ibn Ezra says... Don't worry about the question. The question that we asked before is how could Yochavin not have hidden her, hidden the baby anymore, what was happening? Jews were not the only people living in Goshen. There were Egyptians as well. Says the Ibn Ezra, as soon as they heard the baby's cries, for three months she was able to keep the baby quiet. Everybody knows anybody who's had a newborn baby. For three months, most, I don't know, some babies are super quiet, right? They could be good babies and there's no issue. After three months, then it starts to get something like that. There could be, right, that this baby was a quiet baby for the first three months and now all of a sudden was starting to cry this point, Yochavet said, the neighbors know. The neighbors know I have a baby. I've got to get rid of the baby. And that's the idea behind it. It could even be that there were Jews that were paid to go tell on the, you know, the Egyptians if a baby was born, like the Kapos in Germany. So maybe somebody went and said, so she could not hide him anymore. The Sefer Yasha says, someone told on her, and she had no time to hide the baby. It was like a guy ran into the room and said, they're coming for you right now says the Sefer Yasher, and she quickly put the baby in a basket that she had right next to her and put him in the like area behind the house and hid him before they all came inside. So it all ta- it took really quick, it all happened really quickly. There was no chance to do anything, and that's that. The only place that I found where maybe something happened with the river is this through the Sefer Yasher. It says she put him by the river, but she was found by Bisio. Unless Bisio was in the backyard of Yocheved's house, this would be a hard measure. It might be that the baby actually did flow down the river. This is the only place that you'll find it, but it doesn't say it, and I don't know if that's exactly true. Pirkei Rebbe, most Rabba, and Shir Hashem Rabba all say the Egyptians were so evil. Whenever they heard that a baby might have been born, you know what they would do? They would take other babies, bring it to the house, pinch them so that the babies would cry, and whenever one baby cries, other babies cry with it. So they purposely did it. They brought in a baby and made it cry. So at this point, again, Miriam said, I can't do it anymore. Now this baby is going to recognize the cries of other babies. I can't do it. Now they're really going to catch. So that's what they all say. They were that evil. Rapersh says in Pshat, while he was a baby, she was able to take care of him on her own. <laughs> Listen to this, says Rapersh. When a baby gets a little bit older, three months, four months, they turn super cute. Says Rav Hirsch, everybody wanted to pick him up and coo and ah over, you know, ooh and ah over the baby. So the first three months, they didn't go anywhere near. The baby was by the mother. After those three months, then everybody wanted to do something with the baby. She couldn't hide him anymore because everybody was picking up the baby and bringing him around. That was too late. Says Rav Hirsch, his laughs, his excitement couldn't be contained. It wasn't the cries. It was the laughs and excitement of the baby being tickled and things like that that she wasn't able to do. Says the rush from the Medrash, Zion Adar is when Moshe Rabbeinu was born. Three months from Zion Adar is what date? Think of it for a second. Zion Adar, add three months. You got this. Close. Zion Sivan. What's Vav or Zion Sivan? Shavuos. On the day that Moshe Rabbeinu received the Torah, he shone like a light. Even though he was born and there was a light that was there when he was born, it became even brighter on Shavuos, on the third month since his birth. At that point, says the rush from the Medrash, she wasn't able to hide him anymore because the light was streaming from every window of the house and everybody knew something was going on. At that point, that's when Yochavet said, I can no longer hide this baby. That's the date where later on he would receive the Torah in Harsinai. The Balaturim says another interesting answer. There were tons of women who hid their children in the ground. 
She did that. She placed the baby on the ground, but knowing that it was a special baby and realizing the Egyptians were finding the holes in the ground, she picked the baby up, put him in a table, and put him into the ri- or the side of the river to make sure that the baby wouldn't be caught. Something a little bit different from everybody else over there. Safnas Paneach says something interesting. He says, this is the, the, um, the Ruggish of Rebbe. He says, the Nile River was the deity, the god of the Egyptians. They all believed in it. A Yaor is not a Nahar. A Nahar is the river. A Yaor is a canal, a tributary that's made by man. You make it by putting it out there. Now, if anybody looks at the Nile Delta that goes through in Egypt, if you look, the Nile River is this huge river that snakes through most from Central Africa up until North Africa. And when it goes all the way through, eventually it hits the, what we call the Nile Delta on top. And you're going to see all the river branching out into different directions, literally in all these tons of branches. Some of those are called Yeorim, not a Nahar. It's called a Yeor. It's the idea that goes through. It was a canal where people could bathe. It was not an actual part of the Nile River, so it wasn't necessarily a god. So they didn't treat it as a god. They treated it as something that came from their god that allowed them to bathe. Yocheved didn't want to put Moshe Rabbeinu anywhere near the river. The river was a god. It would be as if they would look at it and say, the river god is giving us a baby now. The god is giving us a baby. She put him on purpose near a Yeor, so it would be a little bit different. What about this Yeor? It could be that Yeor was also a little bit of a god. It was right by Paro's palace. In fact, it was the part of the river where later on, everybody remembers this medrash, Paro never went to the bathroom. Every morning he stepped into the Nile River and he would raise his hands to the heavens as if he was calling upon the powers that be and he was really just going to the bathroom the entire time inside the river. Everybody remembers that medrash, right? That's a great medrash. So you just go inside. He never went into the Nile River proper. The Nile River proper, there's crocodiles in there. There's fish inside. There's crazy things inside. He wouldn't go in there. It was by the Yeor. There was a special part of the river that they separated and put near the palace. It was almost like a canal, and he would go in there, and he'd call out the powers that are in. So that was a godly-type river. Yocheved put him near that Yeor, but not in the Yeor itself because it was a god. Instead, in the Suf, Bisyo went there to be Megayer, says the Gemara. The Gemara says in Sotiyot Beis that she went there to be Megayer. When she went in, she was Mevato, the, 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 the deity that was in that river. A non-Jew is allowed, if they start believing in God, to say, this is no longer an idol, and chop off something or make something that. She did something to that river to make it into a non-God, and that's when she saw Moshe Rabbeinu. She specifically was Megayer in the area that Moshe, that Paro, I'm sorry, made himself into a God there. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but I don't know if anyone knew that, including the daughter. I don't know how many people knew that Paro was going to the bathroom inside the river itself. So they probably treated it as a deity, not realizing what Paro was doing inside there. So it is interesting. According to that rugged German, maybe he was being mavatulit from being a god, but it seems like not up until that point. Okay? Yeah. What's up there? It's hard to say. If we go with, it doesn't seem that any of the Paros live for that long. There is a medrash that says, is he came out brand new gezeros. So there is an opinion that says that this Paro lived for a very, very long time. But it seems more likely that that has something to do with a brand new regime or a brand new Paro that came in. I can't imagine it's the same Paro from the times of Yosef. It seems very unlikely that it would be that way, especially with the history that we have of the Egyptians. Egyptian kings lived barely 30 years. I mean, all of them died 
early. So it would be very hard to say that. But again, if Chazal say it, and Chazal say there's something, it's possible there was a paro that lived for that long, and we just don't know about it, and the Egyptians never talked about it. That is a very big possibility, so I can't tell you. I would say no. I would say it probably is not the same one. Otoplosa Torah brings out that in Sota Tesema Bays, it seems Miriam waited by Moshe's Teva for one hour. How long was he in a Teva for? This is like a great, great, like one of those questions you can ask in Torah Bowl. How long was Moshe Rabbeinu actually in the Teva for? How long? A week? A day? One hour. One hour. It seems it could have even been less. It could have been about 45 minutes before we found him because there's a whole reward that's given to Miriam and they waited seven days and a reward is supposed to be 500 times the original idea, whatever you did beforehand. 500 times one hour, 500 hours altogether, it's close to being around seven days. So that's the idea of what it was over there. Tosvos and Yudalaf and Manalaf says it wasn't even an hour, 45 minutes, 40 minutes, a third of an hour, a quarter of an hour, whatever it was, two thirds of an hour, and that was it. So don't think that he was placed inside there and sitting inside the soup for a long time. One hour before Bissi goes through. But that leads to our question. What was the plan? What was Yocheved's plan? Was the plan, again, if we're saying that she wasn't floating him down the river and she wasn't asking for a miracle, friend, that's what you said before. Was this a miracle that she's expecting? No miracle expected and she's not floating him by the river. She's just putting him in the soup and hiding him. What was the plan? What was the idea? Did she want the baby to be found or not? Did she want somebody to see this baby or not? So Ibn Ezra says, simply put, she did not want to see the baby's death. The baby's death was imminent at home. He had a chance of surviving if she brought him out somewhere. So she brought him out somewhere just so she wouldn't see the baby die in front of her face. That's it. It was more of a selfish idea over there, and that's that. Perhaps Miriam told her, and Ibn Ezra says this as well, Miriam told her through Nevoah, this is what she should do. This is the best idea. Yeah. Oh, that is true. I never thought of that. Hugger sent away the baby so she wouldn't see the death. I think, sim- I, I, honestly, simply put, maybe there's no difference between Hugger and Yocheved, but there's an idea of you, if, you're, if your child's going to die, at least don't see it. I, I, I would assume that that would make sense, right? But, yeah, I, I've never heard an actual similarity. It's only the Ibn Ezra that says this, though. There is no other reason that I found, and I looked up quite a few, that said this idea. And no, what were you going to say? No, so, okay, so that's number one. Number two, Haksav Kabbalah says it was a horrible choice. If he remained at home, he's going to die in the hands of the Egyptians. Who knows what they're going to do to the baby? And nobody wants to see something like that. Says if she did this, it's a possibility someone will find him and have pity on him. So she put him in such a place where if you're looking for him, you'll see the baby. And if you're not looking, you're just going to walk right by. So Ksavah Kabbalah says it was done on purpose, so only somebody who's seriously searching would do this. And I would imagine, again, I don't know what the people were like back then. I don't know if all the Egyptians were like the Germans who were all into this and wanted to destroy Jews at any, co- any cost. I have no idea if everybody was into this or not. I would assume there were quite a few people who were looking around trying to save babies. And if there were, it would make sense that there would be a hiding place for them that everybody would know about. Perhaps Yochavid put the baby in a hiding place that everybody knew about. Hopefully somebody will see the baby. Maybe that's what happened, says Aksav Kabbalah. Then it says, clearly Hashkacha. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants this baby to live. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants this to be able to survive. She did everything she could to make it happen, but she had no plan. 
there was literally no plan. It's Hashem, it's in your hands. You deal with this because I can't take care of it. I can't do it. I don't know what to do. Josephus, it's actually brought down in Josephus' book, not Yosefun, but actual Josephus, that Amram made the decision. Again, just remember, as much as Josephus is off completely, he is in the time of the Tanoim and was likely a Talmud of someone big. So when he wrote his parish on the entire Torah, which has to be taken with a grain of salt, and I'll give you that, nonetheless, this is a Tana writing, even if it's a Tana that ended up going off by the end of the day. He, he says that Amram made a decision, knew that they would be killed themselves for hiding the child. So told Yocheved, don't hide him here, hide him somewhere else, because if he's hidden here and caught, we'll all be killed. If we hide him somewhere else, then only the baby will be killed. So the decision was made by Amram to send the baby away to make sure it would be in Kaddish Baruch Hu's hands and trusted that a Kaddish Baruch Hu would take care of the baby. This Sforno says specifically the Suf, so that it would look like the baby was thrown in the water. And that way the astrologers <laughs> would know and they would say, oh, the baby's in the water and the edict would stop, the Xeru would stop. So she did it on purpose. In fact, the Rabbin of Achaya says this was a brilliant thing she did. She put the baby in the water to make sure the Xeru was gone, that nobody would kill any other babies. Astrology isn't an exact science. Nobody knew what was happening. All they did is they saw up in the skies that there was going to be a savior of the Jews. He'll be hit by water. We know that's May Mariva later on. We know what that is, that he hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock. But they didn't know. And when they saw the baby in the water, and again, I have no idea how astrologers are able to see this, but when that happened, they saw the babies in the water, everything stopped. They stopped the Xeris, they stopped everybody from dying, all the children were able to be saved, and maybe that's the idea behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't know. We don't, meaning we know now, but they didn't know. There's no way that they could have known at the time. Well, what, what are Amram and Yochav going to do? So meaning you have to do everything you can. That's really what Ephraim was saying before. You can't put the kid in danger and just assume Hashem is going to save you. You have to do everything you can. And like, in hindsight, was this, yeah, was this the best thing? Yeah, because Bisya found him, raised him in the palace. It was the greatest thing to have happened to Moshe Rabbeinu. And it stopped the edict by the other Jews. But at the time, they may not have known it. And therefore, there's no way that you could really assume, like, oh, this would have been the smartest idea. Why wouldn't you do something like this? We don't know. We have absolutely no idea. There's only one problem with this Rabbeinu Bahaya, by the way. One problem that I see, that she did it on purpose. <laughs> Why wouldn't she have done it three months earlier? If she would have done it three months earlier, she would have stopped the Gzera three months earlier, and there wouldn't have been any problem. If she knew about this, the way the Rabbeinu Bachai and the Sforno say it, it's she did it with Chachma. She put the baby in so it would knock out the astrology. Just, then do it three months earlier, and then you wouldn't have a problem at all. And you would, have, you would have saved three months' worth of babies by doing such a thing. That I don't know. I don't know why she didn't do that before. And according to this Rabbeinu Bachai, it seems she, she did it. There's a shock over here as well, but we're going to skip to that. We're going to skip that right now. I'm skipping also the Ayelisa Shachar. There's a Dasikinim of how she did it. The Rashbam, the Sporn, and the Maral Diskin. What ended up being? I've got an answer. And I think this answer makes a lot of sense of what she was trying to do. And I think it combines a lot of different Rishonim. The Chizkuni says something like this. It's not exactly the Chizkuni, but the idea is like this. The point was never meant for the baby to be found by anyone. There was never a point to have the baby be found. The plan was... Let the baby be there while the Egyptians search the house. The Egyptians will search through the house. They're going to ransack the house to destroy everything, put everything down there. They'll leave the baby there. And while the baby's there, 
right? Someone will watch over him. Miriam is going to stand there watching over the baby, making sure nothing bad happens to the baby. And then afterward, when everything's done, and they feel like everything's okay, that's when Yochaved brings the baby back. She brings the baby back to the house. Perhaps there will be some days where Miriam will take care of the baby during the day, and Yochaved will go at night. Perhaps there's going to be times where they're going to have to spend a little bit of time away from each other and go somewhere else. They'll go on some vacation somewhere to get the baby away from everywhere. But the plan was never for the baby to be found. They were hoping nobody would find the baby. And that's why they covered it with soup. That's why they put it in the soup itself. That's why they made sure that it was in such a way where you couldn't see the baby at all unless you were searching for it. And the only people searching for it would have been Miriam and Yochaved, maybe Amram. So they did it on purpose to get the baby away from everyone, not to float it down the river, not for the baby to be found, but simply put, so that they could come back and get the baby later. I think that's the simplest answer as to what her thought process was. And again, the Chizkuni sort of says it. I think that's the idea of where it was. And even that, I think the placement of the baby was the most important thing. Putting him by a Yeor, which is a seldom used area, in a place by where the papyrus was made, but not a papyrus was made, but not everybody used that area. In a place where no boats went through, because it's Yaor, not the Nahar. So the people in boats wouldn't be able to see it. The only way someone would be able to see the baby, if you'll remember, is because Bisyal went into the Yaor, all the way in, and therefore could see the baby hiding in the reeds. If you were standing on the side like her nursemaids were, you couldn't see it. It was impossible to see. Only when you were inside the river itself could you actually see where the baby is, and that, I think, was done on purpose itself. Little did they know that that's exactly what was supposed to happen. Bissu was supposed to find the baby. Bissu was supposed to reach out her arm and get the baby. Bissu was supposed to bring her home and make sure that he grew up in a palace, so that Moshe Rabbeinu had the upbringing of an aristocrat, so that he would look and act and be the king of Klau Yisrael. They had no idea. Just imagine what went through Miriam's head. When Miriam sees the daughter of the biggest enemy of the Jewish nation at that time, and she's looking and seeing Bessia come near the baby, she's probably praying, God, don't let it happen. God, don't let it happen. God, don't let it happen. And then when Bessia says, is that a baby? She's like, please, God, don't let her care. Don't let her care. He's like, I'm taking the baby. She's like, no, HaKadosh Baruch don't let this be. Don't let this be. And then the Bessia takes the baby inside the palace. You know, sitting there, HaKadosh Baruch what's with you? What's with you? I've been davening. And nothing came true. Nothing I asked for happened. But this is the greatest thing that could have happened. You couldn't have asked for anything better. This is by far the greatest thing that could have happened to what happened to Moshe. Because not only did it stop the edict against everybody else, but it also helped Moshe to become the person that was right there. Look at the Torah Shlema in Sif Lamed on the bottom of the parak. The Torah Shlema says another answer that's similar enough to this, right? But I came up with it first. Even though he wrote it before I came up with it, I wrote it. And then I saw in the Torah Shalim something similar. Not exactly. But I think my idea is going to be go through. I think that's a really great idea over here. The Panim Yafos, the Hafla, says another Chiddush that honestly is the craziest thing I've ever seen before in my life. Says the Panim Yafos, no, 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 no. You're totally messing up. Nobody is cold-hearted enough to take babies and drown them in rivers. Nobody was doing that. If you look at the Chait Haggadah, you know, the greatest Haggadah in the world, the one with all the awesome pictures. The Rabbi Chait Haggadah. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like the dark one, the big one. It's like the pictures. Come on, you have to get that right. It's the only Agata that people should use on Pesach. It's got the greatest pictures of all time. So either way, regardless, right, there's pictures in there of these Egyptians without any care in the world taking babies and drowning in the river. Says the Panam Yafo no way. 
they wouldn't have done it. They wouldn't have done it. The Egyptians would have rebelled. It would be pure murder. Nobody would have done it. Especially if you go with the Gemara that says that Pharaoh was doing this to all the Egyptians as well. Not only to the Jews, even the Egyptians were killing their babies then. Who would do such a thing? And not only that, says the Panamiapos, why weren't the Jews being most or nefesh to save the kids? You can't just st- stand by and watch your kids being killed. You have to allow yourself to be killed for it. So he says, that's the halacha. That's what any parent would do. They would stand there not allowing their kids being taken. That's what would happen over there. The decree was the following, says the Panam Yafos. The decree was, put your baby in a basket in a certain part of the river where the river would overflow and the babies would eventually die. That was the edict. The actual decree was to have a basket, place the baby in it, and put it by a river. Yocheved was doing what everybody was told to do. This wasn't a different edict. She just might have improved on it by putting Chemer and Zephes on the outside. But says the Panam Yafos, she did what everybody else was doing. Everybody was placing baskets with their babies by the river. That was the edict. That was the decree. And when the river overflowed, because that's what happened, that was what the Yor was, really. The Yor was the overflow of the river. When that happened, some of the babies would die and some of the babies would survive. Those that survived were the ones that you could take home. And those that didn't, died. And that's that. Says the Panam Yafos, there was a gazera with this, and it happened through Grama. It seems like many, 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 if not all of the babies died this way. But they were all told to do it. Just like before. The Mialdos were told, those midwives were told to kill the babies before they came out so it wouldn't be murder. Nothing changed. They still didn't want to murder children. They still didn't want to do that directly. So they did it in an indirect fashion. They put it in God's hands. They let God choose who's going to be there and who's going to die and who's not going to die. And therefore, they wouldn't be worried about a punishment of a mabel for killing the babies through water. They weren't worried about that. Yocheved did it with a hope and a Yeshua that this could happen. And at that time, Bisya saw for the very first time what she had been told about before. Granted, this happened before. Everybody knew this was happening, but Bisya saw it for the first time. Saw the baby sitting in the straw basket and saying, Oy vey, is that what my father's doing? This is crazy. And she ran to the baby, picked him up and said, I don't want this to happen anymore. Went to her father and begged for the whole edict to stop. That's an unreal chiddush. An unreal chiddush. And I haven't worked it out with all the words yet. I found out everything the Panam Yafo says. But he says, but this idea was for everybody. And Yocheved did nothing different. Just Bisya found this baby and stopped it from that point on. Then nothing happened from that point on. The rest of this, guys, there's a tremendous Malbim that brings a Remez over here. A tremendous Remez for the seventh of Adar and what the Teva means. The Teva represents Torah and how we learn, etc. But we're not going to go through. Baba Basra by Ayin Gimel. Riding in a boat on the waves is like the body of a person going through the travails of Gullus. And he says this idea of Moshe Rabbeinu being put in is the exact same thing. I'm going to end with the following, following line over here. That Yelis HaShachar says, they did everything they could. This is Reb Steinman. Everything they did here was an absolute sakana. If Yocheved was caught, she would have been killed. If Miriam was caught watching over the baby, she would have been killed. Each one of them were willing to put their lives at risk for this baby, as anyone in Klal Yisrael did for all of their babies at that time. Sometimes they were successful, and other times they were not. But the way the Rosh says it is, they did everything they could, knowing how important it is to Klal Yisrael for us to have kids and for us to continue doing everything we can. 
the Rambam says the words in Hilchus Tumat Saras, Perak Tazayin that Miriam was sikna be'atzma. She put herself in danger in order to save Moshe Rabbeinu, and this is probably why. This is the idea that Miriam was able to do what she was willing to do for that baby, and anybody would do for any baby. So whether or not this was the intention of what Yochadet had, whether it's my idea or any of the other Rishonim or Achron that we quoted before, the fact that everybody knows that Miriam or Yochadet had put the baby inside the Nile River and let it go through is absolutely not true. He was never placed in the Nile River, or the Yamsu for that matter, and we have to understand that part of the Medrash, right? But in the Nile River to flow down, it's the Suf, on purpose on the Suf. And the way that we're saying it right now, it's in order to hide the baby and come back for him later. That, I think, makes the most sense over here, and I think that works out with all the words of the Pasuk. We'll stop with that, everybody. Have a great Shabbos.